Here's an interesting fact. Um, much of the work in, in economics, uh, a lot of the work in social science, uh, even, uh, even some of the works in, in physics, and uh, certainly a lot of the work in, in philosophy, relies on a particular model of how the mind works. And that model um, can be called the belief-desire model of the mind. Uh, it's in, in broad outline, it's actually quite simple. Uh, it says the mind consists of two components, a belief component, which is uh, responsible for uh, telling the organism what the world is like, and a desire component, which is uh, responsible for telling the organism what the world ought to be like in some sense, what it would be good for the world to be like uh, for the organism. And what's furthermore interesting is that despite the fact that this model is so prevalent, there's, um, there's still quite a lot of questions exactly about how the model works and um, uh, how, uh, um, how widespread we should apply the model. Now, particularly when it comes to this last set of questions, um, people have started to ask about this model using the perspective of an evolutionary biologist. And the reason for this is quite simple, that you know, uh, our minds are traits just like any other traits, and they've evolved just like other traits. And so if you want to know about the structure of a trait like this, it's often quite useful to ask about the evolutionary factors that shape that trait. And the same is plausibly true in this case. Um, at least it's worthwhile to think about what might be the case uh, from an evolutionary standpoint in this context. Um, once you do that, the first thing that comes clear immediately is that you need to ask yourself, well, if you don't rely on beliefs and desires to make decisions, what else would you do? And here the answer seems quite clear. You would rely on reflexes. Um, what are reflexes? Well, reflexes are these quite direct and only minimally cognitive connections between perceptions of the world on one hand and um, actions on the other hand. So if you put your hand in the fire and then you remove it quickly, there's not a lot of thought going on there. All you're doing is you're removing your hand quickly upon feeling the heat. Um, by contrast, if you rely on beliefs and desires to make a decision, you'll represent the world, you'll extract information about your environment and use that information to make a decision. So if you think about what job to take and whether you want to take a job in London or in New York, you need to picture the different possibilities and picture what you want the world to be like and use that information to make a decision. Now, once you see the contrast between these two pictures of how the mind works, clearly, the next question becomes uh, sort of immediately obvious, which is, well, why should we rely on beliefs and desires to make a decision? What do they give us that reflexes don't? Now, here, issues get a little bit more complex, because on the face of it, one thing that seems tempting to say, and this is something that other people have said as well, is that what reflexes don't give us, but what beliefs and desires do give us, is um, a certain kind of flexibility or complexity in the behavior. Reflexes seem quite rigid. They connect a particular action to a particular perception. But if you want to react more flexibly to the world, maybe you should rely on beliefs and desires. However, I think once you understand the reflex model properly, you'll see that in principle at least, there's no reason to think that a reflex-driven organism could be just as flexible or just as complex in its behavior as a belief-desire-driven organism. Um, and you can see why that is quite simply, because um, as long as you have enough reflexes and as long as the reflexes themselves are complex enough, the behavior they generate can be just as flexible and just as complex as the behavior of a belief-desire-driven organism. So if that's right, what do we get from relying on beliefs and desires if it's not flexibility and complexity? And here, the answer again, I think, is quite simple. But this 
this time literally simple because it's, it's simplicity uh, what we get. We gain a certain streamlining, a certain efficiency gain in making decisions. And that's due to the fact that with reflexes, you end up connecting the same action to a lot of different perceptions about the world. So for example, if it matters to you whether you get wet, you might connect the action bringing an umbrella to the perception of raindrops on the window, um, the, 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 the sound of, uh, the prowling sound of, uh, of rain on the window pane, maybe a certain sensation of wetness on your face and things like that. Um, and that means you'll have to deal with a very large table of um, perception action connections uh, to make a decision. By contrast, if you rely on beliefs and desires to make a decision, you can cut down this table quite drastically. All you need to consider is whether you believe it's raining or not and use that information to make a decision. And these kinds of efficiency gains can be quite important. Um, why does this sort of theory matter when it, comes to, um, when it comes to understanding the mind? I think there are several reasons why this sort of picture is important. Um, here are just two. The first is um, it tells you a little bit about what's important about representing the world, about mental representation. This is interesting because recently people started to ask exactly what mental representations give us. And this is sort of puzzling because why would you represent the world to you if you could just rely on the world itself sitting there right in front of you um, to make a decision? And here the, the theory I've just sketched um, suggests that one thing that representations give you is an increased simplicity in making decisions. And um, the second implication is more concrete. If you're in, uh, in the business of building robots or doing artificial intelligence, um, you might want to build a robot that can interact somewhat autonomously with its environment, maybe for purposes of scientific exploration in complex situations. In these kind of contexts, you really, I think, should think about how you want to design that robot. Do you, how many different perceptions does this robot need to have and how many actions does it need to connect to these different perceptions? Because there is the scope here that uh, switching from a reflex-driven design for that robot to a belief-desire-driven design can have um, uh, quite important implications for how successful and reliable the robot interacts with its environment.